Praise God. I know you've been blessed. And let me welcome you once again to today's online service. We are in Matthew chapter 6. And today, focusing on verses 8 and 9. 8 is really for the transition. 9 is our substantive. And our message what does God see in your life these days? Continuing into part number five today. Let's take some time to pray. Eternal God, we honor you and thank you for who you are. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to turn to your word, which we will read again shortly. We ask for a special blessing during this session. Let your people hear your word. Let their needs be met. One and all, wherever they're encountering you, wherever they're watching from. We seek these blessings today through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. Praise God. What does God see in your life these days? Matthew chapter 6 and verses 8 and 9. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Maybe we'll pause right there for today, because that's about all we'll have time to handle. This is the practical look at top priorities of the kingdom as taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the when, how, and why of prayer, as we were focusing on verses six, uh, verses five, six, seven, and a portion of eight, which is what we have begun with today, the portion of eight. We observe that this particular passage in Matthew 6, verse 5 to, uh, to 8, draws our attention to what the Lord has already um, classified for us, and we have emphasized that this is the, the second act of righteousness. The first having been the act of giving alms, giving to the needy. Second act, the act of prayer. We noted that prayer, in respect to what we know today, is one of the most misunderstood, misapplied, and possibly most neglected uh, aspects of the Christian life. And from previous teaching, we've reminded ourselves as Africa that despite the fact that we're very privileged to be a praying continent, we have allowed for aspects of prayer to be trivialized and now seriously threatened with abuse and misapplication. And we want to caution that prayer is not a mere human exercise. The misapplication has to do with how so loosely prayer is taken, uh, posted in locations, and people now can, can just memorize prayers and repeat them and use them 
and, and if you use it as a ringtone and it's helpful for you, you are so, so be it. But we've already cautioned that when they're used like that, they become just like words that we collect and utilize and that takes away from this very, very potent gift and act of righteousness from God. So we have emphasized by what we learned last week, the prayer is indeed the invocation of God's will here on earth. An invocation suggests that this is something already existing in heaven, but needs to be effected by us. And we also emphasize that um, access to what exists in heaven is limited to those who are connected to the inventor and author of life, God, our creator himself. And hopefully with this approach, we can salvage ourselves from that lack of understanding of these divine aspects of prayer and truly uh, go back to the purpose of prayer so that we can be able to give God the glory and honor. So sometimes you hear people saying, fire, glory. What do they really mean? What do you really mean? What's fire? What, what, does, what, what, what is that fire to you? And these spiritual terminologies must be understood within context. And, and it, unfortunately, it's now on display out there where people say, fire. And you know, you've got stuff happening. And it's like a game. We don't play around with God's power like that. And that can easily pass for the category of vain babbling that Jesus talked about. We must be able to remember that. So, we must see prayer as it was designed, designed to be extremely important, and that is why it is classified as an act of righteousness. So, in summary, three key lessons from last week. When do we pray? How do we pray? Why do we pray? Concerning when we are to pray, as we asked that question, when do we pray? We said any time, anywhere. And we um, encapsulated all this around 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Concerning how we should pray, we said that we must be able to focus our effort towards God who hears our prayer, directing that effort towards him. And we'll expound a little more of that today. And Jesus made very clear that we shouldn't be like the hypocrites. Remember the play actors? And we did say that pretense is a serious issue when it comes to the area of prayer. We must get to what lies beneath. Prayer is not about quantity, but about Quality, we say that. And thirdly, concerning how or why we should pray, we give three reasons. Number one, because we are in need of life, uh, because we're dead in our trespasses and sin, that is. Number two, because we're in need of direction, because all we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. And thirdly, as number three, we need to pray because we are in need of sustenance. Apart from him, John 15, verse 15, we can do nothing at all. So in this world that is full of trouble, we can't manage life on our own. Prayer is God's chosen way of our communion with him. We take an extra step then today. As we continue to look at the question, what does God see in your life these days? This part number five helps us to focus on 
the anatomy of prayer. That's today's focus, the anatomy of prayer. In verses eight and nine. As many may be aware, once we use the term anatomy, we're dealing with getting into the insides of something and considering its structure, considering its internal workings, or something to that effect. We want to look at prayer and understand how does it really operate inside. This is a surgical approach. We have come, beloved, to that stage where Jesus began to do exactly what we must understand as was the disciples' need of the day. He presented to them the model for prayer, which popularly we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. I want you to notice something here in verse number eight. The Lord connects the thoughts here to the previous ones by using the term, do not be like them. That's verse number eight. Do not be like them. Who? The hypocrites. For your father knows what you need before you ask. Why does Jesus take this approach? When he says, because your father already knows what you need before you ask. So one might wonder, why pray then? If the father already knows what I need before I ask. That's the beauty of God's sovereignty because he has chosen in this area even while he already knows what we need and how he will answer it. He has chosen that you and I should, by prayer, engage, come before him, express ourselves, and hear what he has to say. Then he says, this is how you should pray. And this is the reason why I have rendered this segment the anatomy of prayer, because we're getting inside. I want you to note that prayer by design is highly internal, highly internal in the sense that it, it solicits for you and I to get inside ourselves, inside the exercise, and bring out what we desire for God to hear. So by that, I can safely say, I look at prayer as a surgical exercise because it requires that by, by its very nature, we explore the potential and the need to utilize a certain level of razor sharp activity. Razor sharp because you're, you're getting inside, getting into the neat areas and beginning to dissect, beginning to, to see the operationalization of something highly internal. This is what prayer is. And beloved, I could be on this for, for a whole year because there is just so much that God has ordained for us to understand. This then 
is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But today the phrase, our Father in heaven. You will agree with me that when we think about prayer in this case, we are thinking about ways in which we are reconnecting with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we have emphasized that in our teaching so far. So these two words today, our Father. And they lead us to three key lessons. And I'm taking these lessons in threes as we keep going. Lesson number one, something I've looked at and considered the communality of God's community. The communality of God's community. That's from the word communal. I'll be coming to it in just a moment. Secondly, we'll be looking today at something plural. So, and I hinted on this issue of plurality. So we've come to that stage today. Our second lesson would be the plurality of interests within God's community. We'll look at that. The third lesson for today, we will consider the covering from God the Father. So let's break it down and begin with lesson number one. The communality of God's community. Communality, they are coming from the word communal. And communal suggests something shared, something general, something shared among many. The king that is introduced by Jesus here has a community. That's the Lord himself. He has a community. And Jesus identifies that community, the community of God's people. And today, the community of God's people is the gathering that you and I make up. This is the community of God's people, the gathering of God's people. And the very fact that God calls us to this place of community, communality, something communal, that communality is within the context of God's community. God's people, that's you and I. And that's the reason why he begins by saying in that prayer, our, our Father. So the word our, that little word in plural form, our, calls attention to that communal gathering. This takes us away immediately from what has become very, very prevalent today, the individuality that we emphasize and individualistic approaches in life. Now, for Africa, this is sort of new because our upbringing and our society in Africa is about communality, is about communal. In the village setting, Family prepares food, and there may be a set of families in that one clan at the village. The men gather at a location. In my area, we call that Mpala, the place of waiting where the men are sitting and discussing. 
The food from three, four homes comes to that place, a communal place, where they sit and they eat, they, they, they share those meals together. That's just one example of communality. That's, that's the culture of Africa, communality. And many of our parents, grandparents, grew up, and some of us today who are in our 50s and 60s, grew up in that kind of environment where communality was the norm. But you see, today's generation of the younger people is a lot different. With the growth of technology and the fact that the world has become one, the infusion and the travel of values from many places around the world is something you can't control. And so today, this communal thing, this communal approach is sort of waning away. And many of you sons and daughters are growing up in, in a system of values that is more towards the individual. And this is purely, uh, largely also a Western approach. Nothing against the, the whole arrangement of whether it's West or, uh, or East, whatever the origin. But the idea is this, the approach towards life these days is largely individualistic. And that is why we cannot take it for granted that you and I will understand the significance of Jesus's desire to show the disciples that when you come to the place of prayer, in this model of prayer, the place of beginning is communality, our. But this communality specifically positioned in God's community. The gathering of God's people. The church. So, in this whole arrangement of all these sets of values coming from out there in this global community where there's so much pressure on your life, I need to ask you a question. Are you defining your environment or is your environment defining you? Because if the word is calling us to the sense of communality, how come we are so individualistic? Apart from just the fact that within us there is the sin nature which causes the self to rise, I must tell you that growing up in Africa is really a privilege because it taught many of us the ability that in life it's not just about me. I must always be thinking about someone else. And that's why they say in Africa it takes a village to raise a child. It's the understanding of communality within the context of a community. But in this case, we're talking about the context of God's community. So I ask you again, are you defining or shaping your environment? Or is your environment in fact shaping you? When it comes to prayer, this is extremely important. How we come to God with an understanding of the fact that this is not about me. And so in many times on those moments of prayer, God may actually move you to kneel and pray, not for yourself, because there are things that he wants you to present before him that are for others. And unless, beloved, there is this understanding of the entry point of our communality, it becomes difficult for some people to sustain praying for others. And imagine how Jesus chose this to be the entry point into the mode of prayer, the anatomy of prayer.
prayer. Our Father. So let me suggest that if there are these pressures from the society around you, and instead of that society being defined by you, it is defining you, then you've got to stop and find a way of how you could turn the tables. And I would like to call your attention at this time to a scripture in Romans chapter 12, where Paul was discussing something similar. And you and I as God's children must see this as a value. As we come to prayer, this is what we are presenting before God, trusting that he will begin to work inside you and to turn your mind and your heart around so that any moment that you're exercising the privilege of prayer, it is the, with a full understanding of what God ordained it for. So Romans chapter 12. Today, let's read from the Message Bible. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And you know, there's no way of doing this except through prayer. And here is an intermission of how you could actually pull away from the negative things of your society and begin to act in a fashion where God can use you through prayer to enact his agenda on earth. Hallelujah. The word of God continues here. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, the Bible cautions, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-informed maturity in you. Hallelujah. Beloved, this is the place to begin. So God has positioned you and designed prayer in this fashion. So that any moment when a child of God who is well positioned in God's community, their first place of call as they come before him in prayer is not so much themselves, but their communality of needs in God's community. And that's why we come by saying, our Father. There is a reason why this is important. And that's why Jesus is teaching it in this fashion. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, belonging to God. 
This is the reason why he has set us up here on it. And beloved, you must find that place of connection, that place of belonging. Today, you can't live just for anything anyhow. You've got to find your niche in the Lord. And I must remind you today that the pressures of what happens in the social sphere and the social media today, the, the, the things that you think people must be seeing from you and the things that you're seeing that people are posting and what you think life is. Those things begin to shape you, shape your moods, shape your tomorrow, shape your, uh, your, your, your thinking today. And I want you to understand that that's not the way life ought to be. You've got something to offer as a child of God. He has blessed you in his community for a reason. And when you come before him with the tool and the channel and the privilege of prayer, he has opened the way and dilated it so much that you can enter in as a wide world of responsibility and saying before God, our Father. You've come into the realm of going beyond yourself and shutting yourself down to your me, 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 myself needs. Put those aside. Prayer is the place that generates inside you that ability to understand that God has designed bigger things for this life. And he has chosen you to be part of the dissemination and the enactment, the fruition of these things. What a privilege. And I remind you, as I did a few weeks ago, that song of the church, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our needs, griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And so, with a transformed mind, with a mind of one who understands that although you are in the world, you're not of the world. You are part of God's community. And as part of God's community, the first point of call is to go outside yourself and to understand that God wants Lord on you the responsibility of being there for others. Our Father, our is a call to that communality of God's community. That's the church, the community of the king. And you are part of it. What a privilege. What a privilege. I want to move on to the second lesson. The plurality of interests. Again, still on that word, our. Our. It's plural. The word our further calls attention the plurality of our livelihood in God's kingdom. We said already we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, belonging to God, which means, which means, beloved, that the, the more you spend time in prayer, the more God will make you aware of what your obligations are. And in God's kingdom, those who are prayerless will usually be 
a place where they're not immediately responding to God's call. And sometimes that becomes the source of many challenges in God's kingdom and even in the church. In, in, the, in the church, that is. Because people are, are missing. They're missing something. And we don't need to. Let's make use of prayer. Because when you make use of prayer, you'll understand immediately. You're part of a community. And you've got a role. And I ask you today, what are you contributing? What will you contribute to this community of God's people? You know, sometimes people talk the church, the church, the church. You are the church. So tell me what difference you will make. In this church, the church that you are part of. Ownership. Philippians chapter 2 would be a good place that illustrates this principle of the polarity of interest that Jesus was highlighting here in this dissected format of the anatomy of prayer. In the Lord's Prayer. Because in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, from verse number 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking at your own interests, but each one of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Man, that is high. That is high. So, when we go back to Matthew chapter 6, you must understand what the Lord was up and about doing here. He had been developing this thought from verse number 1, showing the people that your interest must really lift up the interests of others. He showed that by how he challenged their motive for giving. Now he's showing this by challenging how they pray and specifically contrasting what was taking place in the public square and within the synagogues as well chiefly carried out by people who were so focused on self-interest that when they prayed, they just went out babbling and talking about things that concerned them. And Jesus says, that's not the way. But the way to make entry into my kingdom, into my arena, he says, the way to make in entry into my area of exercise is when you understand how communal this place is. It is for everyone. And secondly, to understand how plural it is. And so he says again, our Father, the plurality of interest. Look at the passage here in uh, Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, in the place of prayer, once again, there is no way you can carry on in prayer and with the, be expressing this level of, of uh, bitterness or expressing the self-interest and talking about people and saying before God how much you hate that one, how much you don't like that one. There's no way you can do that. Not in prayer. Because that's, thing about, that's about how you feel about people. And that's trivial. That's nothing. When it's just you and how you feel. 
But when you come before God properly, you say, ow, it takes you away from those personal feelings and from those personal and narrow sectarian interests. It takes you to a place where you are now looking higher and living higher. And that is why I keep saying to people that you must understand that prayer cannot be cheapened in the fashion that we have cheapened it today. Never, never, never. Because this should energize our way of reaching out to one another. The polarity of these interests. Not looking at your own interest, but each one of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. So, let me summarize this whole lesson, this number two lesson, and the three quick uh, principles. This polarity of interests, number one, requires a change of outlook. So you don't look at me, you don't look at yourself, you look out for others. So it requires a change of outlook. Secondly, this polarity of interest requires a change of heart. And look, in the case of Jesus here, in Philippians chapter two, beginning to read, particularly at the last part of verse five, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. As something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. It's a requirement for a change of heart. Change of outlook, change of heart in order to look at the plurality of interests in the kingdom, in the nation. This is a challenge for all those who seek leadership. And it is easy to say, I will do this for you. I will do that for you. I want to serve people. Really? Will you really serve people? When there is an opportunity to serve and sometimes you'll be doing other things that actually advantage you as an individual, this is the searchlight of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And true prayer helps us to emerge beyond the self and to have a change of heart. And that change of heart is much more enhanced when you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The third thing about the plurality of these interests is that it requires a commitment to serve others. And I've already emphasized this, so let's just read a passage that aligns with it or elucidates a little more of it. And that's verse number eight of the same Philippians chapter two. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's commitment with Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, now not thinking about himself, but having you and I in mind, and you at the cross, as Hebrews chapter 12 said, despise, says, despising his shame. And he went and hung on that cross. Enduring that cross, despising his shame. And he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father. I have taught before about the 
Alelon closes. The one another closes in the New Testament. There are nearly 100 of these used in the New Testament. One third of them deal with the unity of the church. The word one another, one another. The Greek word alelon. One third instruct Christians to love one another. One third of, the, of those passages um, instruct Christians to love one another. And about 15% stress an attitude of humility and deference for other believers. Meaning where you could be able to say, this could very well be mine, but let someone else have it. Preferring, in honor, preferring one another. This is about the plurality of interests. Energized through prayer. In the eyes of God, the King of Kings, the King, the owner of this community called the church. This is design. This is his design for you and I to truly honor him and serve him. Our lesson number three is the covering from God the Father. So the Lord says here, this then is how you should pray. Our Father. I said we're considering just two words today. Our. And in that word our, we've looked at the communality of God's community. And we've looked at the plurality of interests in God's community. Our. Pick up the word father. The terminology father here, as we have indicated already in our teaching, is very compelling. It's instructive. It's showing us an aspect of who God is and how he operates in this life. He reaches out to his people. And the picture here is that in the church, in God's community, God the Father, when presented in this Father image, is really a covering. A covering for God's people. And in this covering, four key attributes stand out when you survey the span of biblical truth. From Genesis to Revelation. There are many more, but I'm just going to highlight four that are key to what we are learning here today. First, the Father rejoices in restoring the lost. So when, when, when he's telling us to pray and have this image of the Father, who already knows, the second time he's using this, in verses 8 and 9, he says the Father already knows what you need. So this is then how you should pray saying, our Father. So that Father image. Again. Who is this Father? Number one, he's one who rejoices in restoring the lost. So in prayer, God will remind you that this whole world has lost its footing. In prayer, God will remind you 
that He so loved the world, as we said a few weeks ago, that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In prayer, God will remind you that all we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to His own way, as we taught just two weeks ago. In prayer, God will remind you that He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon Him. In prayer, He will remind you of the very same parables and stories that He told when He was here on earth. Of a father who had two sons and how He decided after one son pestered for his portion, he decided he could give him his inheritance. And we know the story of the prodigal son. He went to a far country and squandered all that the father gave. And that's a picture of you and I in humanity. Now, if we don't recede to the place of prayer sufficiently and, uh, and, and, and um, uh, frequently enough, we will forget that there is a lost world out there. We will forget that he came in order to seek and save that which was lost. But in prayer, the Lord will remind you and I that there is a place for allowing the lost ones to come back. There is that place where he's yearning for him who has been gone for a while to come back. And that is why in the days of the prophet Jeremiah, he said, how shall my people be gone and slidden back forever? Shall they not fall, shall they fall and not rise? Do they go and not return? God desires his people to come back. But in prayer, beloved, when we are saying our father, that father image requires for us to remember that the father is longing and calling for someone who's been gone to come back. And I reach out to you today. You've been somebody who's through many years knew the Lord and you've been walking with him and maybe for some reason maybe even during this period when churches have not been meeting somehow you slid away and you are into some things that you're enjoying now but those pleasures of life my dear friend do not last and I'm calling you to the to that place of return because I've been in that place of prayer and many times the Lord has reminded me and I'm reaching out to you today come back come back long lost son God loves you and he would like to restore you. It is the joy of the Father to see restoration. So in this picture of the Father, the covering from God the Father, the Father rejoices in restoring the lost. In fact, today, I was hoping to cover um, about three more things under this. I'll just deal with this one. Because I really sense that that's enough for today. So let me develop this just a little more. Thinking about restoring the lost. I've just been sharing the story of the prodigal son. How the Lord saw him from far. And he ran out to him. Received him. When he brought him in, he asked him to give him the best robe in the house. Put a ring on his finger. Called for a feast. He said, because this son of mine, <laughs> this son of mine was lost. 
But now he's been found. In that home, there was another son. The Bible simply describes him as the older brother. When he saw what was happening, he was not happy. And he said, but how come? What's all this? What's the fuss? That's how you people talk these days. What's the fuss? What's the fuss? Well, there's a lot to fuss about. The father is happy. He said to him, son, you've been here with me all this time. And everything in this house is yours. It's yours already. But this son of mine was gone. And now he has returned. And there is cause for rejoicing. Now we know that that father, that, that the other brother was unhappy. And beloved, I want you to know, this is a surgical arrangement. We're cutting with razor-sharp arrangement with the power of the Holy Spirit and observing the fact that in today's church, in today's God's community, these attitudes arrive. They arrive. We like to keep status quo. We don't like to see new people coming in. Sometimes that unsettles us. But the church is about gathering the harvest and bringing in those who are lost. And if that disturbs you, you need prayer. You need to be, uh, to, to, to be restored into the place of truth. Because the Father rejoices in seeing the lost coming back. I can't close this this, this thought of rejoicing in the lost without reflecting on one great servant of the Lord in the African church in the early 200s. His name was Cyprian, Cyprian of Carthage. Cyprian of Carthage. Cyprian was a gentleman who was born into a very wealthy family. His parents were, were not Christians, but they were wealthy. And as he grew up, had a great education, trained as a lawyer. Eventually, Cyprian met the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel was ministered to him. His heart was touched. He joined the community of God, the church. Within a short time, within three years, he was so established in, the, in God's community that he became a deacon. Within another short period, he became a bishop. So now he was the bishop of Carthage. During the time when Cyprian was the bishop of Carthage, it is said in the books of history, and even prior, even to the time prior, he became a bishop. He was a man whom the community understood and loved very well. The poor loved him because he was out there whereas as a lawyer he acted for the justice of those who were not receiving justice. And he was out there speaking as a voice for the voiceless. People loved him. Persecution came. He hid for a while. Dacian persecution. He hid for a while. And during that period the church began to struggle because some believers sort of went away. And then the church was now struggling with accepting back the group of people they referred to as the lapsed Christians. It was Cyprian that the Lord used 
to write some treatises that were so rich. He began to talk about the unity of the church. He's the one that made a case in the church for saying, look, let's receive them back. The Father wants them back. They may have made mistakes here and there, but let them come back. Let them come back into the church. This was the story of Cyprian. He saw the church as a place of covering. He saw the church as a place of having the fatherhood of God cover you and give you that solace and that protection. In fact, he's credited for saying, you can't have God for your father unless you have the church for your mother. Meaning the fact that he was saying the church has to be understood that the church is the bride of Christ. So for you sons, you call your mother, your mother, but your mother is the bride of your father. All right? It's the same way. The church is the bride of Christ. And a true bride is also a mother. In one sense, the church mothers us all. When we really place ourselves in the hands of the Lord, we are mothered and nurtured in the church. But the covering is the fatherhood of God. And Cyprian said, you can't have God for your father unless you have church for the church for your mother. And I must go back to the truth that I was saying earlier, which means that you must have found your place, plugged yourself into the church with a sense of commitment where you have a true honor for God and you also have a true honor for the church that you belong to. Contributing to its advancement, the advancement of God's kingdom, the communality of God's kingdom. So you can't be saying, there is the church, there is the church. You are the church. You are part of the church. And if God is your father, then there's a way in which the church is really your life. This is your community. You have brothers and sisters who look after you and whom you are happy to look after. And beloved, there's nowhere else but in the place of prayer where you can understand the covering from God the Father. Because we pray, our Father. And when we come back next week, I've got three items I need to cover and they're here before we go to the next item. Very quickly today, our lessons have been simple. I've reminded you and I of the communality of God's community, the plurality of interests in God's community, the covering from God, our Father. He's your Father, He's my Father, He's calling us together. And He wants us to learn to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. God bless you, beloved. Thank you for listening to God's word. Just now, before we close, I'd like to pray for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You've moved away from where God placed you. God wants you to know that he placed you into this life in order to have a relationship with you. So you would also have and enjoy, you would enjoy a relationship with him. I want to help you to reach that place of reconnecting with God by you receiving him as Lord and Savior, receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. You can do that by acknowledging your sin. And I want to help you. So you can do that by praying this prayer, meaning it in your heart. Say after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you as a sinner. 
I realize that I've gone away from your commandments. Today, I've heard your voice speaking to me, calling me back to you. As a prodigal son, I'm ready to return home. Therefore, I confess my sins. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse me, wash me, make me new. I invite you to come inside my heart, be my Savior and my Lord, so that from today onwards, I will live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins and help me now to live a holy life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear friend, if you've prayed that prayer, I would like you to look out for directions to any of our social media platforms. Pick up one, follow the lead. You'll be talking to somebody who really cares for you, and you'll receive help as to what you need to do next. But congratulations, thank you for taking time to make this decision. And for everybody else today, we have a Father in heaven. There's this chorus that we sing here in Africa that says, who knows your name, who knows my name? He cares for you, he cares for you. And I want us to pray to him together right now and let him meet you at the point of your need. Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing so many today to listen to your word. I ask that you will reach out to them, that they will understand that you have called them to be part of God's community, to share in that communality and to have a sense of belonging today. Lord, thank you for restoring those who may have gone so far away from home. Thank you for bringing them back and let them find their place of belonging in you. So we give you honor, praise, and glory. And we thank you for victory through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. Beloved, thank you once again for taking time to join us in today's service. Can we now do the benediction together and let the hand of the Lord rest upon you. The Lord bless you, keep you, cover you, and protect you. And the redeemed of the Lord shall agree together by saying, surely goodness, mercy, and wholeness identity and destiny shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'll feast at the table spread for me as I fix my eyes on Jesus, the Lamb of God, the author and finisher of our faith and our great high priest. In Jesus' name, amen. Shalom, beloved, this time next week. The Lord's blessing rest upon you.